and they're going to start handing out the handout for tonight. I echo the sentiment of Pastor Eric that uh, we were truly delighted and, uh, and blessed with an amazing event on Sunday. Um, thankful for all of the speakers and everyone who played a role in that. And I'm thankful that we have the audio to go back and listen to it. Because um, the reality is, is you can only be in one place at one time. Um, AI has not figured out a way for us to be at multiple places. Um, but uh, I, this uh, yesterday afternoon I was driving and got to listen on Bible studies. And, and uh, it's just a, it's a great tool that we have. And so uh, as, as we had said, this was not just a weekend that we intended to put on and then just forget about spiritual health, but, but we're making the weekend live on. And so you're making the weekend live on by daily praying and, and by uh, joining in with the church uh, over these next, I think, eight days now of prayer and fasting. Um, I will put a plug in for Sister Petra's um, devotional, if you've started reading it. Uh, what a phenomenal job. Uh, it, it was a vision a while back to start producing our own content, and uh, we have a wonderful person who does such a, a fantastic job, and she put that together. And, and so do yourself a favor. If you haven't started it, pick it up, and uh, it, it will definitely bless you. I want to start a series over the course of the next three Wednesdays, and um, this will probably leak into my Sunday preaching. Um, we're going to study the life of David on Sundays, um, and I want to talk about the anatomy of, of prayer, uh, or the anatomy of a prayer. I, uh, I was really, um, I don't know what the right word for it was, uh, a lot of burdened, um, encouraged, uh, I don't know, uh, convicted. Uh, today, I, I, uh, last night, Angie and I uh, purchased online tickets to Because of the Times, which is a, a minister's conference in Alexandria, uh, Louisiana. And, uh, and so we, last night's service, you can go online, it's, it's public, but the rest of it is, is closed because it's, it's for ministers and pastors. And so uh, I was watching this morning, and it was on for about four hours, and uh, the, the normal Wednesday morning speaker for the last 40 years has been uh, Vesta Lane Mangan. And uh, if you don't know anything about her, uh, in a couple weeks, she turns 98. And she stood up in front of a couple thousand ministers and preached on her passion, which is souls and prayer. And her, her son got up afterwards after she preached for about an hour and got on her knees at the end and, and just a powerful move of God. And her son said, uh, apparently last year, uh, something took place where uh, she went into the hospital and they wouldn't have caught it. She would have, she would have died. And at that time, he said, I, I told mom, we got to take your car keys. And she was very angry and not happy with him. And so he said she just kept calling people because she wants to go to the church and pray for a couple hours every day. And he said, and it got to the place where there wasn't always people to get mom to the church whenever she wanted to go to the church, which she wants to be able to go there whenever she wants. And he said, so a couple months ago, I gave her her keys back. And uh, and so here's a, a woman at, at 98 years old that has a passion for prayer. And she told stories of her husband going into Alexandria and uh, people that were pronounced dead, and he would pray and God would bring them back to life. And, 
uh, just the power that is in this couple, and, it, and it's from a life devoted to prayer. We know that prayer changes things, amen? Uh, prayer, more importantly, changes people who can change things. Prayer changes situations. Simply put, prayer is communication with God. I would say this at the onset, that prayer is the lifeline uh, for every believer, and it is the life-giving force for every church. However, I think if we're being honest, sometimes there's a lack of understanding of the purpose and maybe the practice of prayer. And I think there's no better place to look than Jesus' teaching and instruction on prayer, and we refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. And, and I'm sure you, you know it, and I'm sure you can all quote it from heart, but understand this about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it wasn't meant to be a ritualistic, repeat-after-me prayer. This wasn't a uh, when I'm in times of trouble, I just quote these five verses, which there are power in quoting Scripture. Um, but this was a template or a model that Jesus was giving on how to pray. And I'm going to call it the anatomy of a prayer. And, and it, came, it came about from a, a simple uh, yet profound question. It's a, it's a question I think that many of us are asking today. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says that his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Under, understand, uh, the disciples spent many hours with Jesus. And, and no doubt, they would watch him on a regular basis retreat to the wilderness. Uh, he would retreat to a certain place. Uh, and they would watch him in his commitment to prayer. I'm, I'm sure countless of times they were together and before a meal was eaten or during a circumstance or something that Jesus would, would audibly pray and they would hear him pray. Or maybe they would, they would walk past him where he was and they could hear him praying. Uh, they, they heard him declare after they were rendered powerless to heal the demoniac. He said, this comes not but by prayer and fasting. And so they understood the importance of prayer. And, and so they asked him, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and it's, it's not just teach us to pray, but it's, it's really, if you look at the heart of the question, it's, it's we want to pray like you pray. We, we want to do it, we don't want to do it our own way, right? We, we grew up and, and we went to school and we studied the Torah, but, but we want to do it the way you do it. We want to pray and approach uh, this subject the way you approach it. And Matthew records a more complete answer to this question than Luke and Jesus responds to them in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Uh, Jesus gives, and I'm going to try to do this over the course of the next two weeks, uh, I'm going to try to give some, some basics of prayer before we get into the anatomy of prayer. And Jesus gives us uh, a couple basics. There, there's more, but I, I just picked out three basics that Jesus gives us about prayer. And the first is this. It's very simple, and that's why it's the basics. The, the first is we need to pray 
daily. Notice three times Jesus doesn't say, if you pray. Jesus doesn't say, when you have time to pray. But Jesus says, when you pray. It's an assumption. It's an assumed uh, practice. It's not, you know, you might want to think about this. It's, no, when you do this, when you pray, three times. Uh, Later in Luke chapter 18, in the latter portion of verse 1, he said, that men ought to always pray and not faint. Uh, Later on, he would also say, watch ye therefore to his disciples and pray always. David would exclaim in Psalms 55 and 17, evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry out loud and he shall hear my voice. And Paul would close his letter to the church of Thessalonica by say, saying, pray without ceasing. But don't stop that vein of prayer. You, 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 here's the beauty. You don't have to get out of it. You can, you can go into your prayer closet. You can shut your door. You can pray to your father who's in secret. But when you leave the prayer closet, you can stay in that vein of relationship throughout the entirety of the day. And so he says, pray without ceasing. He doesn't say, quit your job and uh, move in with your parents into their lower basement and tell them, listen, I got to devote my life to prayer. And so I can't work. You're going to have to support me. Um, you're going to have to feed me, and, and I can't do laundry anymore. I have to do what Paul told the church of Thessalonica. No, no. It's imperative that we pray. Prayer is not a suggestion, but rather the assumed behavior of every believer. And, and also, furthermore, prayer is not a checklist or a chore, but it's a daily chance to talk to Jesus. And, and so we must realize that there's power in daily prayer. Point number two, and this might catch you by surprise, but but bear with me for a minute. There is a right way and a wrong way to pray. Jesus said in verse 5, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Why? They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they might be seen by men. It's, it's the next part in your handout. It says hypocrisy. Uh, we don't want to pray like this because it's praying for show. They're just after the applause and the approval of man. They're just wanting, to, to, they're just wanting you to think they're spiritual. So when you come close, they pray in the formal King James, which if you didn't know this, it's the only way you're to pray. If you've been praying in in New King James or NLT and you're wondering why you're not touching heaven, it's because you have to get it back to the formal King James. The these and the thous and the thuses and the, you know, uh, verily, verilies. No, no. He, He said, don't be like the hypocrites. All they're after is your applause. I'm not after your applause. You, you don't, unless you ask, I don't need to tell you about my prayer life. I don't need to tell you how long I pray. It, it shouldn't be a, a, a badge we wear. I've prayed seven hours. Today. Well, okay, well, Jesus said if you do that, you already got your reward. <gasps> wow, you're so spiritual. But, but that's hypocritical because that negates the very nature of prayer. I don't tell you how much I talk to my wife. But it's assumed because you see the way we interact that we have relationship. And it will be assumed by the way you act that you have a relationship with God. You don't have to open your mouth to anyone. You don't have to proclaim how long you pray because what they said about the disciples is they knew that they were with God. They, they said these men are they're unlearned, but, but because of their boldness and because of the way they talked, they said they must have been with Jesus. 
There's something about being with Jesus that changes and transforms us. And so it's not about a show. Later, Jesus would tell a, a parable, and he would say in verse 9 of Luke 18 uh, that he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that were righteous and despised others. He said, two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you. I'm not like the other man, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even at, as this tax collector. He points to somebody. I'm not, <laughs> thank you that I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not as much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. Now, now listen, the, the accomplishments of this Pharisee are noble. The fact that he prays, the, the fact that he fasts, the fact that, that he uh, gives of his tithes and offering. It's admirable that he did that, but that had become an idol in his life. His accomplishments had become more important than his relationship with God. And so here's one praying very loudly and very proudly. But, but then there's one who couldn't even he couldn't even muster up the strength to look to heaven because of, of how he felt about himself. And all he could do is beat his breast and say, Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man, not, not the Pharisee, but the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We, we say this a lot over this pulpit, but it's worth saying, if you do God's job, if you exalt yourself, he'll do your job. He'll humble you. Your job is to do your job. You humble yourself, and then in due season, he'll exalt you. And so get, get comfortable. I'm going to talk about this on Sunday as we look at the, uh, the life of David. We're going to talk a lot about humility. But David lived a life of obscurity. He was comfortable in obscurity. Nobody knew his name. Nobody knew who he was. He said, you know what? I'm going to get comfortable with that. And when he got comfortable with that, that's when he was attractive to God. And God said, I have a man after mine own heart. He's not worried about the public perception of him. He's more worried about how he is with me. The, the second thing that we shouldn't do, the, the wrong way to pray, is insincerity. That's praying what you don't mean. And when you pray, he said, don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Jesus said the heathens think that just because they have a lot of words, that, that because they talk a lot, it's like that, that kid that you grew up with in school that just doesn't stop talking. Just because you use a lot of words, they think that they're going to be heard. Have you ever met a person that says a lot without saying a lot? You know what I'm talking about? They say a lot of words, and, and as they're talking, you're, you're trying to figure out where they're going because they're making it up as they... <laughs> we can get that way in our prayer time because our mind is someplace else. Lord, I thank you for, you know, uh, uh, you know and you just start... He said it's vain repetitions. Vain repetitions are empty or useless words. It's, it's saying things you don't mean. Repeating meaningless or rehearsed phrases. And so prayer, prayer isn't a rehearsal. It isn't me, me performing. So when we approach prayer, remember something very important. This is also on your, your handout. Quantity doesn't necessarily mean quality. Just because you spend an hour with God doesn't mean there's quality. 
if, if, like Sister Vernon said last week, if 20 minutes of that is just saying hallelujah, 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 or oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, um, he's up there going yes, and the oh Jesus, yes, oh Jesus, yes. And so quantity doesn't necessarily mean quality. And conversely, quality, this is the next part, doesn't necessarily need quantity. Elijah prays 63 words and fire falls from heaven. There wasn't a lot of quantity in those words, but it was the quality of the relationship that God responded. Jesus in the garden prays, I think, 26 words. Be your will, let this cup pass, nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. Powerful prayer. And so we need to realize that, that quality doesn't necessarily mean quantity. However, the more I pray, the more I realize that I need both. That, that the more I work on the quality of my prayer time with God, the more it's going to turn into the quantity of time that I spend with Him. Because something changes when you get to that place of quality where it becomes less about a, a monologue and it actually becomes a dialogue where you start hearing the heartbeat of God and he starts directing your prayers. And, and it's not about getting through my list, but it's about having the, the, the mind of Christ. And I'm walking into this time and he's directing me and he's showing me things in the spirit for me to pray for. And, and I believe God desires both quantity and quality. The, the, the last thing, and then we'll jump into the Lord's Prayer, is not all prayer is effective. And I know this kind of goes along with the, the last point, but, but let's lean into this thought a little bit more. James says in James 5 and 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And then he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so if there is an effective, fervent prayer, there has to be an ineffective prayer. And so what is ineffective prayer? And I, I just gave you two things. Two thoughts on ineffective versus effective. First is this, ineffective prayer is rehearsed. And I know this might seem like I'm doubling up on what I just said, but I wanted to lean into this thought a little bit more. Ineffective prayer is a performance. It's a, it's a ritual. It's the religious rule. It, it's repeat after me. It's mechanical. I get that, that when we pray, there's a lot of times we might be praying for the same things, but but our prayers shouldn't be the same prayers every day. I don't know about you that, that are married, but you don't have the same conversation with your wife every day. I hope not. But effective prayer is real. It's relational. It's not even perfect. When I, when I talk to my wife, there are times that I get into the middle of a sentence and I go, I don't even know what I was saying. And she goes, yeah, I, I wasn't following you. It's real. We, we talk real to each other. I don't, I don't come with a list to Angie and say, oh, honey, now that I have your attention, let me point you to five things I need from you today. And then she says, oh, my love, now that I have your attention, I will do your five things if you... No. And so there, there are times in our prayer, I remember praying a prayer and where I was surrendering to God and I said, God, today I surrender this, 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 and this. And then I, I got to a place where I heard myself and I said, God, you know I don't mean a word of that. You, you know, I don't want to surrender those things. I like those things. I'd rather them be in my hands. And so 
prayer has to be real. It doesn't have to be perfect. It, 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 sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes if someone were to listen in, they would go, whoa, that's how you talk to God? I think God can handle our complaints and he can, he can handle our honest comments and thoughts. God, I don't get this. I don't get why, why this is taking place. I don't, I don't understand why this is happening today. It's the way David prayed. Look at David's prayers. Some of the most real and transparent prayers, an insight into what's taking place, the turmoil that's taking place into his heart. And the only place he can offload that is, is, is to God. Ineffective prayer is with an open mouth. Jesus said, these people draw near to me in Matthew 15 and 8. They, they draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So, so prayer has to be more than just an open mouth. Effective prayer is with an open heart. I'm not just giving God my head during the next 45 minutes. I'm also giving him my heart. I'm opening up myself to him. I'm connecting to him. He, he, he has my emotions, and he has my attention, and he has my affection. And I, I'm, not, I'm not anywhere else. I'm right there in that moment with an open heart. Jesus began breaking down the anatomy of the prayer, and I'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll just focus on one verse. Then. He said, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Tonight I just want to focus on that first verse, verse number nine. He said, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's, there's two parts to this. After, after the colon, our Father in heaven is the first part. And this, this first part deals with our approach to God. He, he's our Father in heaven. Jesus always prefaced his prayers with Father. Actually, if you look within the scriptures, there's only one time that he, he diverts from the, the term Father in his prayers. And that's when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me give you a couple examples. In Luke 23 and 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Matthew eleven twenty five 25 says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise. Matthew 26 and 39, he says, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He would later remark to, to Philip, when, when Philip said, Show us the Father. He says, have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He, he who's seen me has seen the Father. And later, or earlier rather, he would say, I and my Father are one. So I don't want to get confused with what's taking place. Jesus was fully God and fully man. As the divine, he would answer prayers, but as a human, he would offer prayers. And not only did he model this approach in action, but he gave it to us in instruction that when you pray, when, when you get into your prayer closet, when you lock your door, when you have, have everything else closed out and you're focused, you're to call him and approach him as your father. We're not instructed to talk to God as our best friend, our spouse, our homie, our teacher, our mentor. 
but we're to approach him as our heavenly father. Which, which means if he's our heavenly father, we're saying, I'm only a child. And, and as a child, there, there's, there's something that, that, that comes into alignment. When I talk to Pastor Eric, I approach him one way, but when I talk to, to, to Dad, even when he was pastor, that there was something that was different because he was my father. And yes, we would, here we would have the, the relational model as assistant pastor and pastor, and now it's pastor and bishop, but, but there's times we get on the golf course and it's father and son. There's times we talk in the morning, it's father and son, and, and there's a way in which I approach him. And there's a way in which he responds to me. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 2, it says, Then Jesus called little, a little child to him, and he set him in the midst of them, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So, so this is important. You might say, I, I, I put away childish things, not when you get into your prayer closet. Yeah, yeah we want maturity as you grow in your spiritual walk with God. But when you walk into your prayer closet, he is your father and you are a child. And so that means a couple different things in our approach to him and a couple different ways in how we should approach him. If he's our father, that means, number one, and this is in your handout, that we can approach him in faith. We, we must actually approach him in faith. But when I was, when I was a child... I mean, it seemed like I was probably 20 feet up on the stairs. Probably not, but Dad would say, jump to me. And I wouldn't think twice. I would jump to him. I'd be, he'd be in the deep end of a pool, 10 feet. I, I knew that if he missed me, I'd go straight to the bottom. He'd say, jump to me. I didn't, I didn't, there was never a doubt in my mind that my father wouldn't catch me. I would just, no sooner did he say it, I was running and like, let's do this. And I got a little older, and I still had that, that, that desire, and, and I got a little bigger, and all of a sudden I saw that, oh. <laughs> then eventually he didn't ask me to jump to him anymore. You want to try it? Let's try it. Come on. He was my dad, so I, I had faith in him. When I was afraid, my, my hand would go up for his hand, or I would get closer to him. I, I remember that one time, and I've told this story before, when, when those, those hoodlums tried to take our light bulbs, and you came out, and you approached them, and I was so afraid of these big guys. They were probably 15, 16, but at that age, they were, I was but a grasshopper, and they were, like, they were like the giants. I understood what the Israelites understood. And Dad just walked out there with all the force and, and, and gusto of a person who had a black belt, and, and he's like, hey! And I was like, yeah, that's my dad. What now? But now, by myself, you're going to get me. But when dad's there, I remember when kids, people would say, you know, like at school, like I could beat up your dad. I'm like, no, you couldn't. So I had faith in my dad. If he said something, I believed it. And, and all that seems funny, but that's the same way it should be with our heavenly father. Hebrews 11 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so, so if we come into our prayer closet with skepticism and with doubt, and, and we think, you know what, I'm just going to ask this, but I know it's a long shot. I don't know if he can do it. I don't even know if he's listening to me today. How effective do you think our prayers are going to be? 
Because the very way in which we approach him, we're, we're leaving it at the door. But he says, no, no, you have to approach me with faith, believing that I am more than able, believing that I can do exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask or think, trusting that I know what's best for you. That, that means you can pray the prayers, but you have to walk out of there with confidence saying that even if he doesn't answer the prayer, I trust him and I have faith enough to know that if he doesn't answer the prayer, it means he has something better or he has a lesson that he wants to learn or he's somehow behind this and doing something in the midst of this because I have faith and confidence in him. James said in James 1 and 5, he said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. He said, if you're going to ask something of God, the way in which you ask it must be in faith, with no doubting. L listen to this. For, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He said, listen, I I'm just going to let you know that if you approach God with doubt, don't expect to get what you asked. If you approach him, and, and, and today he can do it, and tomorrow he can't, and you're double-minded, and you're, you're wishy-washy in your faith, he's probably not going to do it. But when you come to God, come to him with faith, no doubting. So we must, must approach him with faith. The second thing is in holy fear. I, I know I've said this before, but, but I just like saying it. There, there was words that struck fear in my heart as a, as a child. It was when... When grandma was chasing me around the, the stairs after I had done something wrong and she had the wooden spoon in her hand and, and she was trying to hit me and she would, uh, she would hit me and I would, I would reply, that didn't hurt. And um, uh, believe it or not, I wasn't always this way. Um, that was, that was B, BP, I don't know, before, BA, before Angie. Um, and, and grandma would eventually get tired and exhausted and frustrated that she would say, just wait till your dad gets home. Whew. Did you feel that shiver? I know you felt that shiver. Some of you still, you're, 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 your dad is long gone. You still felt it. You know, whew. That's, 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 yeah, that's thick. Growing up, most, if not all of us, had a healthy fear of our fathers. And, and that's the same way sh we should approach God. Matthew 10 and 28 says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He said, you're not, you're not to fear humanity. Don't, don't feel fear politicians. or don't, don't fear principalities or powers or rulers darkness. Don't, don't fear them. But fear the one who can not only take your body out, but also can sentence you and send you to hell. So what does that look like? What does it mean to fear the Lord? That the fear of the Lord is to reverence and be in complete awe of him. It's to esteem, to honor, to adore him above anyone or anything else. When I have a, a, a healthy fear of the Lord, I hate the things he hates. And I love the things he loves. I, I realize when I fear the Lord that if his word said it, it's still as true today as it was the day it was said. And I don't say, well, well, God, but cultures change. I say, no, if he, if he still hates that, that means today he still looks at it the same way. It, it's to depart from evil in every sense, in thought, in word, and in action. And so when we approach him, we should approach him with a holy fear. The, the third thing is in humility. When we come into his presence, our accomplishments, our abilities, our achievements, they're, they're nothing in the presence of God. 
Don't, don't bring, like the, the Pharisee did, don't, don't bring your resume to God because it means nothing. That, that was why, that's why the priesthood, when they went into the holy place, they would, they would, before they went into the holy of holies, they would, they would take off the, the priest and they would come in as a man. It didn't matter their position and their title when they got into the presence of God. It didn't matter who, who they were or what they had attained. And it doesn't matter what you have attained or what you have done. When you come into the presence of God, you approach him with humility. Paul remarks in, in Philippians chapter 3 about his resume. He goes on about, and he's proving to the, the Philippians uh, of how he, he really has the ability to speak of things because uh, the way he was groomed and the way he grew up and, and the things he accomplished. And then he says this at the conclusion of, of showing his entire resume to them. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. He, he said, when I think about God, when I get into his presence, everything I am is nothing. Everything I've accomplished, it, it, he said, it's like garbage. Just put it in the trash can. Every trophy that I got, every participation medal, every first and second place ribbon, every, every time I, I painted a picture and my parents put it on there, throw all that stuff away because it means nothing when I come into the presence of the Lord. Understand something about humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. It's not self-deprecation. It's not, I'm a terrible person. I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. It, no, it's just, don't think about yourself. You get done doing something for God, you, you don't need a pat on the back. Just don't think about yourself. Think about him. Think about what he wants for you to do and what he's asking of you. Our prayer should not be through the filter of our will, but God's. And we'll talk about that next week. It's posturing ourselves in humility. Psalms 10 and 17, David says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. So I, I think that, that conversely is true, that if he hears the humble, that, that maybe, just maybe, his ears are closed off to the prideful. Because we know that Scripture says God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. And so all at once, before we've even opened our mouth, uh, again, I've started thinking about this, that, that I can sometimes roll out of bed and I can be, uh, you know, foggy still in my brain and I'm going to go to God and for the first five minutes I'm going to make no lick of sense. And here I have the captive audience of the King of Kings and the creator of the universe. That's where holy fear and humility, and I, and I prepare myself. When I'm going to walk into the presence of God, I want to approach him the way he wants us to approach him. The, the fourth way is in honesty. That This may seem obvious, but we need honesty in our prayers. There, there should be nothing off limits for God. There should be no area hidden from him. He, he doesn't just want to see the good. He doesn't want to just hear the good. He wants all of you. You might think, but God already knows what I'm going to say. Yes, but he still wants you to say it. God, I'm, I'm just sorry for everything I've done. Yeah, but he still wants you to say it. He wants you to recount it. He wants there to be a godly sorrow within you that when you bring it up, you're reliving it and saying, God, I'm sorry. Not only did that break your heart, but it, it's breaking my heart that I did this. And, and the fact that I grieved the heart of God, I don't want to do that. The, the reality so we can conceal nothing from God, but we can withhold everything from him. And honesty is saying, I will 
withhold nothing. I will let you have everything. The last way is with persistence. As a child, when I, when I wanted something from my parents, specifically my mother, I think this is why I, I, I just naturally went into sales. I, I learned the art of persistence. I, I learned that you know, she was, you know, normally in pick and save 43 minutes and 15 seconds. And so I would start my case early on about why I needed that Kit Kat bar. I needed to give her a break and give me a break and break off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. And she would say no at first, but I'd wear it down with my persistence and my charm. The smile, still, still, she still, still gets her. I wasn't discouraged with no or silence. Didn't matter. I just, just keep asking. And our approach to God should be no different. We should be persistent with God. He, he, he later in, in Luke 18 tells a parable of a persistent widow who continues to come to a judge day after day after day after day. And he says, he says this judge doesn't fear God. He, he doesn't, it's not that he fears God while he's given in. He's just annoyed by the woman. He says, if, she, if I don't do something, she's going to continue to bother me day after day after day. And so he says, just to get her, you know, to, to stop coming at me, I'm just going to give in to her request. And he said, this is an example of how men ought to pray and not lose heart. He said, this is, this is the way you should pray. That, that if you don't get your prayer answered on the first try, and, and you don't get it answered on the 10th try, that shouldn't discourage you from asking. You just keep persistently coming before the throne with confidence, knowing I have faith, and I'm going to keep asking, and your will may not be today, but it may be tomorrow. And so I'm going to keep asking you, God, time after time after time. Ephesians 6 and 18 says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. Then we have the second part of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name, or holy, reverent, set apart is your name. This is our adoration for God. Understand, when, when you come into the presence of God and you approach him with faith and holy fear and honesty, and, and, and you're, you're all ready to go, the, the first thing you do is not submit your requests to him. God is not our vending machine. The first thing you do is not get out the laundry list of all the things you need him to accomplish. The first thing you do is not dive deep into intercession. But the first thing you do is you offer thanksgiving and praise. One person said, before we can ask him for anything, we need to praise him for everything. And the psalmist said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. He said, this is the way in which we approach God, thanksgiving and praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. You see, within his name, hallowed be your name. Within his name is his character. Within his name is his abilities. Within his name is his reputation. And so when we say hallowed be your name, we're saying all of those things. Everything that he is, that he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That he is El Roy, the God who sees. That he is Jehovah Shema, the God who is there. So I, I don't just say, I'm thankful for your name, because every one of those attributes behind his name tells a picture, and it tells a story. It tells a moment in my life when there was something going on in my life, and God stepped in. And, and he wasn't just my provider because I read that Abraham called him my provider, but that day he became 
my provider because I had a need that I couldn't take care of, and my provider stepped in. And so I don't say, you're, you're Jehovah Jireh because of what you did for Abraham. No, you're Jehovah Jireh because of what you've done for me, and let me remind you of what you've done for me, and I thank you for it. The psalmist would say this in, in Psalms 103, verse 1, and I want to I finish with this passage of Scripture. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I I don't know if you counted, but the psalmist says, I want to bless him, and he gives five categories as to why he wants to bless the Lord. And let this be a guide to you that tomorrow as you go into a time of prayer, you have, you have some categories that you can say, okay, here's how I'm going to expand my time of praise and thanksgiving for God. The first thing he said is he forgives us. He said he forgives not just some of our iniquities. He said he forgives all of our iniquities. John would say this. He would say if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. The psalmist said this, he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Hmm. So so daily, we can praise him for forgiving our sins. I I love to do that every single morning. I want to praise him for the finished work on Calvary. I want to praise him because his blood has not lost its effect. That's why we can sit here and we can sing about the blood and something inside of us just gets so excited because we're thankful because we knew the wretched sinner we were. We knew what we did. We know what we deserve. And because of the blood of Jesus, because of a God who stepped into humanity and said, listen, you can't take this on by yourself, but I will be the sacrifice so that you can have forgiveness of sin. See, Scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we can thank Him because He forgives us. Mm, thank you for the next thing we can thank Him for is He heals us. He said He heals us from all of our diseases. First Peter 2 and 24, He said, Who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live for the righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. I I don't know if you can just think about it as I'm saying this. Think about the times that God has healed you. As I was putting together that that talk on spiritually healthy children, I I was recounting moments as a father as we taught Ellie how to pray. And I remember one day when when she was just uh, probably five or six years old, and she uh, probably even younger than that, three or four years old, and she had gotten an ear infection. And she was in so much pain, and Angie was at work, and I took her to the doctor. The doctor said, yes, she has a double ear infection. He gave me a prescription. He said, your daughter is going to be uh, uncomfortable for the next two days. It's going to take about two days for this medicine to take in, but here's what you need to do. And I remember getting that medication out, and Ellie was, was, was not happy. She, was, she was kept touching her ears. Her ears were all red and all, and, and she was just uncomfortable. And I got out the medicine, and she said, I don't want to take it. And I said, you need to take this because this is going to help you. And she said, Jesus, touch my ears. Help them to feel better. She said, all better, Dad. (laughs) Do you know that from that moment, she never complained one more time about her ears? Because God healed her. He heard the prayers of a little four-year-old. I can praise him because he heals us. He heals all of our diseases. And there's time after time after time, and I know you know it as much as I know it, where you've been sick or you've had issues or you've had friends who've had issues, and we prayed, and God's touched them. So we can say thank you, because it was by his stripes we were healed. The, the, the third thing 
is he said he rescued us. He said it this way. He said he redeems our life from the pit. David would say it this way in Psalms 40 and 2. He said he also brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. I, I know we praised him for forgiving our sins, and, and that is reaches into the past and into the present and, and will eventually stretch into the future because we're going to make mistakes. But we can praise him because he rescued us. And some of us knew the life we lived. We knew that we were an addict. We knew that, that, that we were in an abusive relationship. We were in a situation that we couldn't have gotten out of unless it was God. We, we say that statement, but God, and I, I know if you're a guest and you're coming in, that, that, what does that mean? But when we say, but God, we, we talk about the dramatic turn of events in our life, how, how things were going so bad, but then God stepped into our story. And he said, listen, you can't take care of this without me, and I'm going to reach and send you a lifeline. And you are, are floundering in the sea of sin, and, and you're drowning in your own despair and, and, and work of all, your own devices. But guess what? My grace and mercy is going to reach out and it's going to save you. And so we can thank him because he rescues us. The fourth thing we can thank him for is he shows us favor. He said, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. That, that word favor is charis. It, it encompasses a range of meanings from grace to favor, but it also means kindness and goodwill. Uh, understand this. Everything we've gotten from God is undeserved. I, I've started correcting people, and maybe I shouldn't do it, but people will say statements like, you deserve this. I'm so glad you got that because you deserve it. And I'll, I'll, I'll respond with, I don't deserve anything. There's nothing in my life that I deserve. I don't deserve the wife that I have. I don't deserve the role that I have. I don't deserve the job that I've had. I don't, I don't, every, everything that's happened in my life, I, I don't deserve any of it, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Neither do you. There's nothing in our life that we have done to earn what God has done. The blessings and the favor and the mer his mercies and goodness follow us all the days of our life. That means we can't outrun his goodness. We can't outrun his mercy. And he said, guess what? You can't outrun it, but also, guess what? You can't exhaust it because his mercies are renewed every morning. And so he shows us so much favor. The last thing is he blesses us. He said, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagle's wings. James would say it this way, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. Why don't you stand with me? I know we have a couple minutes left with this, but I figured just the best way to go out is like David wrote when he was in the cave of Adullam and he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And then he said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so, so why don't you just stretch your hands to heaven and, and let's just take the next minute to thank him and praise him for everything that he has done in our life. Would you do that with me? Would you lift your voice and would you begin to just recount everything that he's done, how he's forgiven you and how he's healed you and how his favor has been upon you and how he's blessed you and how he's rescued you? Can you just add some volume and say thank you God for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for 
for your truth, God. Thank you that I'm not walking in deception, but that I have the truth, Lord. Lord, thank you that your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path, Lord, that there are those that are walking in darkness, but because of your light, Lord Jesus, and because of your word, I can ensure that I don't go into dark places, God. I can stay out of the darkness. Thank you, Lord, that you're as close as the mention of your name, that no matter where I go, Lord, no matter what trouble I get myself into, no matter how lonely or depressed or anxious I get, Lord, you are always there beside me, and you go before me. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for healing us, Lord Jesus. There are people in here that have testimonies of moments that you reached into their life, and you touched them, and you healed their body. There are people that have had uh, tumors dissolved. There are those that have had cancer that has been healed, Lord. There are some that have leukemia that, Lord, has gone away, God, and we can't explain that other than the grace and the mercy and the healing power of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that every time we mess up, every time we make a mistake, that your mercy and grace is sufficient to cover all of our iniquities and all of our transgressions. We thank you tonight for everything you have done and for all that you are doing, God. Our hearts are filled with gratitude. Our hearts are so full because you love us, because you blessed us, because you see us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I worship you today. I praise you today. I love you today, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This, there's something so beautiful that happens when you begin to praise him and when you begin to, to thank him because when you do that, the king walks into the room. Your father walks into the room. There's something about the praises of his people that draws him close to you. And so maybe you feel far from God and maybe you feel all by yourself, but all you need to do is turn your eyes to Jesus and as you begin to worship him and as you begin to praise him, Scripture says, he inhabits the praises of his people. He steps in when you praise him. I praise you, God. I thank you today, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord and thank him for his presence. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 I know Sunday was so transformative on how we ended, and, and I believe burdens were birthed Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon. But, but in order for a burden to be maintained, we, we need to lean into that burden every day. And so I, I pray that, that Monday and Tuesday uh, you've spent time with the Lord today. And, and maybe you haven't. Maybe, maybe your schedule's gotten away from you. But there's no better day to start than today. And so let's make sure that we, as we walk through this year, and we're going to walk into other seasons of talking about financial health and physical health. But, but the most important thing we'll ever talk about is our spiritual health. That sets the tone for the rest of it. Failing at spiritual health is sure failure everywhere else. And so we need to walk in the Spirit each and every day. Lord bless you. Have a wonderful night. Greet one another as you...
uh, are dismissed in the name of Jesus.